So the, the last three weeks, we've been looking at one chapter. John chapter 6 uh, starts with Jesus multiplying five loaves of bread and two fish and feeds like 10, 12,000 people. And then the crowd is like, whoa, like we want more of that. And so they come back and they find Jesus, right? Because they want more of this miracle bread. They want more of what Jesus can do for them. Um, and it becomes an interesting conversation between Jesus and the crowd and later on the, the religious authorities, the religious experts. And it seems like you'll see in a little bit, like people are just confused about what Jesus is saying and what he means. And uh, that's because, well, you'll, you'll figure it out as we read, as we read the next part. So uh, we're going to read John 6. We'll start with 35, then we'll skip to 41 through 56, okay? You'll find it on the screen, on your screen at home, or if you've got it uh, in front of you, John 6, 35, and then 41 through 56. Before we read it, let's pray again. Father in heaven, again, as we gather together around your word, uh, we, uh, we come open-handed and open-hearted. And if we're not there yet, come Holy Spirit and help us get to that place. Give us eyes that see, give us ears that hear because sometimes we don't see, sometimes we don't hear. So we need you to help us see. We need you to help us hear. And by your word, which is generative, it creates things, which is transformative, it transforms things, it changes things, people, hearts, souls. We pray that that would happen in this place in these next few moments. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So John 6, starting with 35. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Okay. He's bread. Down to verse 41. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I'm the bread of life that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? It's confusing, I know. And Jesus says, stop grumbling among yourselves. Oh, I think that's a word we need to hear. <laughs> stop grumbling among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. 
I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a person may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, they will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. He who believes in me. Let's dwell on that word. Just This is like an introduction. This, has, this is free. So the next part is later. So this is like extra. This word believes. Um, like we, we've, come to, we've come to think about this idea of belief as a mental assent to certain ideas. Does that sound right? Like, I believe the right things, and there's like a list of things that we have to believe, right? Well, in a sense, there's some of that going on here when Jesus uses the word believe, but what he's really getting at is, is something deeper than that. It's more like, it's more like our, our word trust, okay? So when you hear this word, Jesus especially uses this word believe, it's more like trust in me. Like you have a deep abiding trust in Jesus. It's not, well, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and he came and became a human being and then he died on the cross and I saved and I go to heaven. I believe the right things. Okay, some of that kind of, but what's underneath this idea of believe is this, is this better idea of trust. Like you have this deep trust in a person. Are you catching the, the difference there in the way we think about things? Okay, so when he says believe, think of it as trust. Like, I trust this person. Right? Think about the people you trust. And when you say, I believe in them, it's like you trust them to do what they say they're going to do and be who they say they are. Are you with me? Okay. So Jesus says, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. What are you talking about? See, people are all confused. This is why we have to be clear about what it is we're reading and the thing that Jesus is doing here. Because we can't just say, I read the Bible and take it literally and do whatever it says. We have to be aware of the things that we're reading. We have to be aware of what Jesus is doing because there's a lot more going on here than just cannibalism, right? A lot more going on here. You know, it seems that during the time in which John wrote this letter and the couple of hundred years after it, um, people who followed Jesus weren't treated very well, right? In fact, they were oftentimes pushed to the margins of society. They were thrown in jail, murdered, crucified, stoned, And some of that persecution came because of some serious misconceptions about some of the things that Jesus' people did. And one of the most serious 
misconceptions, most disturbing misconceptions that people had about Jesus' people surrounded this ritual that they, that they had together called communion or the Lord's Supper. They actually thought Jesus' people were cannibals. And it's not hard to figure out where this rumor, this idea sort of started out. Jesus himself said, my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Eat me. What? And Christians talked about gathering together in a dark room, feasting on the body and blood of Jesus at these things they called love feasts. And the people on the outside, they're thinking, whoa, that's disturbing. That's weird. That's radical. That's creepy. That's dangerous. Super gross. And so rumors started about early Jesus people that they were gathered in these dark rooms and they would engage in human sacrifice of newborn babies and cannibalism. Oh, what? Now, I don't know what you do in your spare time. Guessing it has nothing to do with cannibalism. As a Jesus person, guessing it has nothing to do with that. So what do we even mean then? What are we getting at here when we talk about feasting on, eating the body, the blood of Jesus? What is this? Well, let me just say it simply. This is a metaphor. Don't engage in cannibalism, please. Cannot do that. This is a metaphor, right? It's, it's sort of, it's verbal imagery getting at a reality that's almost too deep for words. So what am I going to do right now? I'm going to try to explain to you with words what we're talking about. So we're talking about a, a metaphor, consuming Jesus, allowing Jesus to be inside of us, nourishing us, giving us life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Later on, Jesus would breathe his Holy Spirit onto his people, his followers. So it's consuming Jesus. It's all about being in a close relationship with Jesus, being in a close relationship with Jesus in the most intimate way possible, allowing Jesus to live inside us and work through us. That's what we mean by consuming Jesus, right? So for three weeks, we've been asked, well, this is week three, so I'm counting this week. So for three weeks, We've been asking ourselves some questions, some, I think, very important questions. The first question is, what are you hungry for? Which I think is a very important question because it gets, it gets at the deepest parts of ourselves and it sort of tugs on the things that, that move us. Our, our deepest desires, what do you really want? What are you hungry for? We talked about how like our desires are sort of a a sign that point to a deeper desire that I believe every human being has, our desire to be connected with the divine. The second question, last week we talked about, well, what are you eating? What are you consuming? What are you not only desiring, but what are you actually chasing after, grabbing, and filling your life with? What are you eating? And this week we asked the question, why do we eat? If we're supposed to eat Jesus... Still sounds weird to say. If we're to consume Jesus, why would we want to do that? What's going on here? I have a couple of things. Three things to say about that. Are you surprised? 
So, I know this first one's going to be pretty, it's going to sound simple, uh, but I think it's profound because it's different. I think this is really profound when we really think about it. We consume Jesus because God has invited us to the table. Because the divine, the creator of heaven and earth and everything in between, the one who made it all, is behind it all, has invited us to the table. God extended an invitation to you and says, come and eat and be filled. It all starts with God. Just look at the words that Jesus uses, this consuming Jesus thing, this this relationship with God thing, with the divine thing, is initiated by Jesus, initiated by the Father. Think about what he says. It comes from above. It begins with God. The language Jesus uses is profoundly invitational. He says, I am the bread of life. Eat me. Again, it sounds weird. I am the bread of life. Consume me and you'll never be hungry again. You'll never be thirsty again. This is what Jesus wants. I am the bread that came down from heaven. We don't have to reach up to heaven to get this bread. I am the bread that came down from heaven. And in verse 44, no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. So this is what God wants. This begins with the divine. God is drawing us close, inviting us in. God wants to be in a relationship with you and me and every other human being on the planet in whose image they have been made. We feast on Jesus, consume Jesus, because God has invited us to the table. He says, you're welcome here. Come, eat, be filled. You ever gone to somebody's house who's prepared a, a really good meal and you walk in the door and they're like, welcome, come, sit down, have some food. Have you, ever, have you ever had that? No one. You could raise your hand. It's fine. You walk into, thanks in the back. Doesn't that feel good? You walk into the place and they're like, there's this spread and you're like, Gosh, I get to eat that? And they're like, come sit down. You are welcome here. God is inviting you to the table. And God is saying, eat, come, be full. He's not turning anyone away. Welcome. See, this is why I think this is profound. It all starts with the divine. Because most theories and most philosophies of religion in the world, not all, but most, start by asking questions like these. Is there a God? How do we know if there's a God or not? And if there is a God, well, where do we find this God? If there is a God, how do we find this God? And then the entire structure is centered on this search for God that we have. And this usually consists of certain rites and rituals that we perform in order to get the God or gods to to be sort of favorable to us. Right? Rites and rituals aren't bad, necessarily. 
But if that's all it is, trying to get God to be in favor of you, to be on your side, or this search from God is, is simply a rational thing. Like, is there a God? Where do we find God? Let's think about this one for a little bit. This is like Aristotle's theory of the unmoved mover. Are you, have you been in philosophy class or have you heard this theory before, right? We look around the world and we see all kinds of things in motion, right? We're just using our brains, our rational thought. This is Aristotle, and it's painfully simple. So we look around ourselves and we see all kinds of things in motion, right? And we think to ourselves, well, nothing is in motion unless it has been put in motion by something else. That's our experience of this world. We've seen it. But where did all that motion start? Where did it start? come from. Things couldn't have always been in motion. To us, that doesn't seem to make any sense because our only experience is if something is in motion, somebody or something put it into motion. And so Aristotle reasoned that motion had to start from somewhere, and it started with what he called the unmoved mover or the prime mover, what we call God or the divine. So we can sort of try and think our way there. Okay, So most religions in the world start by asking these questions, is there a God? If there is a God, where is this God? If there is a God, where do we find this God? It is us on this hunt, this search for the divine. It's very human-centric. It starts with us. we got to do all sorts of things in order to find this God. Well, we believe something different because this book teaches us something different. And we don't believe that we search for God. We believe that God is searching for us. God is searching for us. Think of it. Think about how this book begins. In the beginning, God. It doesn't say, in the beginning, there was a world and human beings were playing around on it and they're like, where's God? This book begins with, in the beginning, God. God creates the heavens and the earth and everything in between. That's my summary of Genesis 1. Wasn't that good and quick? Boom. And then human beings are part of that mix. Skip chapter 2, let's go to chapter 3. We make a mess of things. We recognize that we're naked and we cover it up. And then God finds them in the cool of the garden and says what? Anyone know? Where are you? Where are you? That's the beginning of the book. And then the rest of history as told from in the Bible and beyond, it's all about God searching for us, revealing God's self to us, making God's self known to us. God comes to Abram. As the story is told, Abram wasn't out looking for God. Is there a God? If there is a God, where do I find this God? No, God comes to Abram and Sarai. God comes to Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Elisha and Deborah and Ruth and and Mary. Luke chapter 2, to Mary. God initiates every single time. There's this 
rabbi who lived in the previous century named Abraham Joshua Heschel. He wrote a whole book. Lots of books, actually. If you ever run into his stuff, I commend it. So Jewish rabbi, by the way, our faith started as a Jewish faith, right? So we should, we should sort of learn from people who know about the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, right? So we should learn from this. So good. He wrote a whole book, and the title of the book is called God in Search of Man. You know, today we would say God in Search of Human Beings. But he was from that generation. God in Search of Man. Job says to God, you hunt me like a lion. God is a lion hunting you, prowling around. The psalmist says, you know me. You search me and you know me. From before I was born, you knit me together in my mother's womb. You've searched me. You know me. Even Jesus told little stories about this. As he walked around doing his thing around Galilee, God initiating this, re- this, this relationship with us, God searching for us. He said, if, if any of you has a hundred sheep, if you're a shepherd, you've you got a hundred sheep, and one of them wanders off, what do you do? You leave the 99, and you go hunt for the one who's lost. They are that precious to you. There's a woman who has 10 coins and she loses one in her house. So what does she do? She tears the whole thing apart. She sweeps everything, looks in every nook and cranny until she finds that one coin. And then she tells her neighbors and they have a party. God searching for us. God will go to any lengths to be in a relationship with the ones he's created. God became human in Jesus. God said, humanity, you want to know what I'm like? Here I am in the flesh. And then Jesus showed us exactly what God is like when he gave himself up on the cross in the most stunning act of self-giving love. You want to know what I'm like? This is what I'm like. God will do anything to be in a close relationship with all of us. So this is what makes what we believe different than what I think is so profound. That we don't have to search for God. In fact, Jesus came on the scene. He started doing his thing. And he said this. The first thing he said. Um, the time has come. Kingdom of God is close at hand. Repent. Believe, trust this good news. You know what the word repent is? Turn around. And you'll be like, there's that lion hunting me. God is closer than you ever dreamed before. We don't have to search for God. God is searching for us. And sometimes all we have to do is do what Jesus said and turn around. Trust it. In searching for us, God has revealed to us in the person of Jesus. All we have to do is trust. People ask Jesus, what do we have to do? And Jesus says, believe in the one he has sent. Trust in the one he has sent. 
All we have to do is trust, and the banquet table is open. You're welcome. Come, sit, have a feast, eat. We eat. We consume Jesus. We have this close relationship with Jesus because God has invited us to the table. We didn't find God. God found us. We didn't come here on our own power. We've been invited. But it's more than that. Why do we eat? We eat because God wants us transformed. God wants us changed. God wants us, God wants us different. We might call this transformational eating. Now, we normally don't think about eating in this way. In fact, sometimes we don't even pay any attention to why we're eating at all. We don't ever ask our questions. Why are we eating? Sometimes we just eat because we're hungry. But not all the time. Sometimes we eat because, well, it's breakfast time. It's lunch time. It's dinner time. We eat because it's time to eat. How many of us have eaten a meal just because, well, it's that time again. Time to eat. So we eat. Sometimes, how many of us have parents who said to us when we were little, you better finish what's on your plate. Finish what's on. How many of us are parents who've said that to our own kids? You got to finish what's on your plate. Well, what if they're just not hungry? You know, we like to think, you don't like what I made for you. Sometimes that is true, by the way. <laughs> Most of the time that's true. But we say this to our children. Finish what's on your plate. Someone once told me that that phrase likely began in the Great Depression. You better finish what's on your plate because you don't know when your next meal is. And so we've kept that. Great Depression is over, and most of us have plenty to eat, and so we still say to our kids, we don't think about why we say this to our kids, finish what's on your plate. Why do we eat? Why? What if we all started to engage in transformational eating? told you last week we were doing this thing called Whole30, not going to make a big deal out of it today. But if you were going to eat for transformation, if you were going to eat to lose weight, if you were going to... If you're going to eat to like change your body, your physical self, not going to eat Cheetos. I love Cheetos. Oh my gosh. And we could argue about whether they're a chip or not. Some people say they're snack and not a chip. They're chips. You heard it from me first. Let me show you. It's in, uh... just kidding. Not going to eat Cheetos. You're not going to go to Bebop's and get a bacon cheeseburger. Oh, I love Bebop's. And a large fry and a chocolate shake and dip your fries in the shake and then eat it. I still think y'all are weird if you do that. But some people like it. Right? We're not going to eat five or six pieces of meat lover's pizza or supreme pizza or whatever it is. We're not going to do that. No, we eat good stuff if we want to eat for transformation. Jesus says, that's me. Jesus says, I'm the good stuff. Eat me, and you'll be transformed. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I remain in them. It's strange bread, this Jesus. 
May we consume it through Scripture and study. We consume it by gathering together here in this place as a community and, and, and consume it in that way. We digest it through prayer and meditation and it's weird. It becomes a part of us. But then this bread does something different that other bread doesn't necessarily do. And it doesn't happen overnight, but over a long period of time, this bread, this strange bread, this Jesus becomes a part of us and then begins consuming us, making us a part of Him, the body of Christ, His presence in the world. And this relationship is so close. Us as individuals remaining in Him and Him remaining in us and us together as a body remaining in Him and Him remaining in us that we begin to be transformed into non-perishable bread. We become like Jesus, like living loaves of bread. Jesus says, I am bread, lo, we become bread too. Which brings us to our last thing. Why do we eat? We eat, we consume Jesus the bread of life, to become bread for the world. We become living loaves. Bread for the world. Not so that we can be like this exclusive bakery where we bake a bunch of little loaves and nobody gets to come in and eat it because we love our little loaves and we love the little party and it smells so good, why would we want to share it? No. We become bread for the world. So what's bread made for? What's it meant for? What do you do with bread? You break it. And you give it. And you allow it to be eaten. It's meant to nourish. It's meant to give life. So every time we love our enemies, and pray for those who persecute us. Ask that God would bless those people, our enemies. What? We allow ourselves to be broken and consumed. And the world is different, transformed. Because you don't see that out there. Every time we love our neighbors as ourselves, and we allow ourselves to be broken by putting in the really hard work to form long lasting, grace-filled relationships. We allow ourselves to be broken. And whether they know it or not, people experience Jesus. Every time we turn the other cheek and decide not to take revenge on someone when they've slapped us in the face, literally or figuratively, we allow ourselves to be broken and consumed. And the world sees a different way of being. And whether they know it or not, they experience Jesus and are transformed. On Labor Day weekend, when we worked through several different projects over at the bridge home, like using real muscles, sweating real sweat, we allowed ourselves to be broken like bread so that others might be nourished and have life and experience Jesus. When we do things like show up at school once a week to mentor a child, we allow ourselves to be broken so that child might have more life 
and experience Jesus, whether that child knows it or not. Every time we let go of ourselves and serve and volunteer and get our hands dirty out there in the community, we allow ourselves to be broken like bread so that people can be nourished and experience the presence of Jesus, whether they know it or not. You see, here's the thing. We don't, we don't consume Jesus just to be fed and full and satisfied. Like if being fed and satisfied is all we're here for, and that's the end game for any of us, then we've missed the point. We've missed it. We're here to be fed in order to be transformed into living loaves meant to be broken in service for the world. And if you think about it, we're right back where we were at the beginning of this chapter in John chapter 6. You know, Jesus transforming five loaves of bread and two fish and multiplying them and giving it to the people, right? Well, guess what? Jesus is still multiplying loaves of bread. He's not done yet. Only the loaves are you and me. And when we're broken in service for the world, more people consume Jesus, are brought into relationship with him, are given new life, and are changed themselves. That is why we do this. That is why we eat. Let's pray.